congregation, we have experienced it ourselves, and we hear about it in the news, and especially now as we hear of warfare in Eastern Europe, there is a lot of suffering in the world. And when we hear of all these things, we may wonder, how could anything good come out of all of this suffering, the death, the carnage, the the turmoil, the destruction. And yet, we know that there is a purpose, that at the center of all of history, there is a Redeemer, a glorified King of kings and Lord of lords, who has all power in heaven and on earth, and who is working all things together toward the final glorious end. Yes, we may say, in the midst of all of history, there is Jesus. And that brings us to the scene around the cross, because there we have, the, as we saw in the passage, the weeping women. And uh, we see the leadership of the temple mocking Jesus, and the soldiers joining in in the mockery. We see Jesus cruelly tortured and crucified and, and mocked, and, and with him two criminals, one on either side. And this is a, this is a fact that all of the four Gospels give account of. In Matthew 27, we read, And there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Mark's gospel is almost identical. We have Luke's in front of us. And John writes in John 19 that they went to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, is Calvary in the, the Latin equivalent, and where they crucified him and two other with him and on either side, one. And here's the the beautiful phrase that John adds, and Jesus in the midst. Jesus in the midst. Jesus in the middle. Now, these things are not under, uh, these are not uh, events that just happen by chance. History has not been lost control of No, it is all working together according to the purpose of God. Even this detail that he was crucified with two criminals on either side of him. And then we know this was planned because prophecy even predicts this detail in Isaiah 53. He was numbered with the transgressors. Yes, Jesus in the midst, fulfilling Scripture. All these things were done that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. But how could there be any good here? Well, we all know. We know why this is called gospel. It's good news. Let's look at the gospel of the three crosses 
and looking first at Christ dying with sinners, secondly, sinners dying without Christ, and thirdly, sinners dying with Christ. So the gospel of the three crosses, first of all, Christ dying with sinners, sinners dying without Christ, and sinners dying with Christ. Christ is here dying in the presence and in the midst of sinners. He has come as the Emmanuel. And children, you remember what Emmanuel means. It means God has come to be with us, God with us. And God in the Son, uh, in His Son, has come to be among us. Well, Jesus has taken upon Himself the very human nature that we have, and, and yet without sin, but nevertheless the human nature. And not the human nature as it was in the Garden of Eden with all the beauty and harmony, but He took on Himself the form of sinful flesh, one of the, the apostles describes it. In other words, He took upon Himself the human nature that was under the effects of the curse. And so he felt hunger, and he was tired, and he was tempted, and he was scorned and threatened and falsely accused, betrayed, despised and rejected, forsaken, slapped, mocked, whipped, and finally crucified. He felt all these things because the Son of God truly came down to be with us. He entered into the flesh. He made himself, in, as Paul says in the Philippian letter, he made himself in the form of, uh, of sinful men, not only, but in the form of a servant. He took it upon himself, and he entered into our condition in, in the sense that the conditions of the world Jesus was crucified. And this means that not only did Jesus come down and experience humanity in his own human nature, but he came down in order to bear the consequence of sin. He was crucified, and we, we see it emphasized by Luke here, there, not anywhere else, but there. And then he was crucified. And that place was the place outside of Jerusalem. And it was a symbol of the fact that the, the church had excommunicated Jesus, actually. And uh, the courthouse of man had, had declared him worthy of death, even though he was, as Pilate admitted, he found no fault in him. But he conceded to have him placed in that place of condemnation. There they crucified him. There, in that place uh, where condemned prisoners died, they crucified him. Yes, that was not a Jewish way of capital punishment. Crucifixion was the method of the Roman Empire. But there was one moment in history 
Uh, someone has studied it and, and said if this had happened 40 years before, he would not have been crucified. If this had happened 40 years after, he would not have been crucified. And as Paul says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. Just in that time span of the history of the relationship between the Jewish nation and the Roman Empire, so that he was crucified. And we have the symbol of the cross. And now indeed, the, the Bible does say, cursed is everyone that is, is hanged on a tree. The Jewish method was to stone people as capital punishment, and then as a symbol of, their, of the disgrace of their execution, they would hang the, the body after death on a tree. And so we find in the Old Testament scriptures in Deuteronomy 21, 23, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And so according to the civil government of the time and according to the, the church's tradition in the Old Testament, the fact that he was crucified was a symbol of him being condemned to death. However, there was something very unique about Jesus, certainly. The pr fellow prisoner, the fellow, uh, the one of the, the thieves had mentioned, we indeed justly, we are in the same condemnation. But there was something very special about Jesus because they were guilty. He was himself innocent, and yet he became sin, the apostle says. In other words, he became the guilty one. Not simply was he treated like the guilty one, but actually there was a transaction that was taking place in the courthouse of heaven that we read of in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So all the guilt of all the people of all the history of time uh, whom the Lord would save, their guilt has been placed upon him. He is in the place of the condemned, in the place of the guilty. We read in Galatians 3 verse 10, Cursed is everyone that continueth not, and all things written in the book of the law to do them. And so that curse rests upon every one of us because we know that we have not obeyed the law of God perfectly. We have not in all things that are written in the book of the law obeyed God. And so the curse of God is upon us. The, the just wrath of God revealed in the law is upon us. But here's the miracle that Jesus has taken that curse upon himself. In Galatians 3, verse 13, it goes on to say, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has paid it all. And having paid it all, he bought free those who would believe in him. He purchased their redemption, their freedom from the curse of the law, from the condemnation of God. 
being made a curse for us, Paul goes on to say in Galatians 3. He has been made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. There they crucified him, the Son of God. Amazing love. How can it be that he would die? Here is the heart of the gospel. The Christ dying among sinners, in the midst of sinners, but also in the place of sinners. That's the good news. The substitution of the sinner going free and Christ taking the place of the condemned sinner. Christ's humiliation is the door of hope for all sinners. Christ's crucifixion and his taking the place of the curse is the door of hope to all who are hopeless. Both of the men who were crucified with Jesus were condemned indeed before the court of God of God and before the court of man. But no man bore such a weight of guilt like the weight that Jesus bore. And in the sovereignty of God, in the saving work of, that was planned from before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ came and died in the midst of sinners. As John says, Jesus in the midst. This cross is at the very center of all of history. Isn't it interesting that all of the dating of time before this is stops at zero. We say all these dates are, are B.C., before Christ, and, and all the dates after. In the center of history, in the center of our calendar timing of the human race, we place that moment, rightly so. And for there is an acknowledgement that this is the critical event of all of history, Jesus in the middle. One thief on the right, one thief on the left, and congregation, Jesus is the divider of all of humanity. We read already in the early chapters of Genesis that there were the, the children of men and the children of God. Well, the covenant division of the human race started soon after the fall. But the real spiritual division of the human race, regardless of what our relationship is to the covenant or the church, is this. Jesus is in the midst. What side of him are you on? Let's look at these two sides as they are represented to us in these two other crosses. Sinners dying without Christ. Yes, there were two reactions to the cross, two reactions that were epitomized and symbolized by the reactions of these two men. And we must ask ourselves, where am I, with this one or with the other? 
They were both, after all, raised in the covenant. There's good evidence in the, in the comparing of all the passages together that these were men who were probably stirred up in the insurrection movement of uh, the, the Zionists and uh, that they committed crimes in the process and they were being executed for this. And so they, they knew a fair bit about the Old Testament scriptures. They knew about the expectation of the Messiah. Yes, they both had heard the prayer of Christ. They had heard these marvelous words that Jesus, at a, at a moment when, when anyone would have cursed their oppressors, he prayed for them. He, they both saw the Savior lifted up. And Jesus had predicted that when he was lifted up on the cross, he would draw many to himself. Well, one was drawn and the other was repelled. He hardened his heart, this man. He hardened his heart in unbelief against the very fulfillment of the, the expectation of the Jewish nation. Scripture is being fulfilled in front of his eyes. And yet, he closed his eyes to it. He hardened his heart to it. He did not fear God. His, his partner rebuked him. Don't you fear God? I mean, of all the times in your life when it would be appropriate to be afraid is the moment when you are dying, you're going into eternity. Do you not tremble a moment in these circumstances? What an awful thing that this man refused to repent at such a time as this, knowing that his life would soon pass from time into eternity, and the scriptures that he knew about had told him that there would be a judgment after death. He refused to plead for mercy, and here the fountain of mercy is being opened in front of him, the gracious words of Jesus' prayers are heard, and he refuses to even turn to this Savior except with his mocking words. So many today, congregation, are responding to the gospel this way. They are hardening their hearts against it, and not only in the world, but in the sphere of the covenant this is happening as it was happening here. People who should know better they hear the gospel of forgiveness. They hear the offers of free grace, the tender invitations of the Savior, and yet they choose the pleasures of the world. They refuse to heed the voice of mercy. Some may be tormented in the agony of physical circumstances. Some may be laying bed on a, on a sick bed as a result of COVID or, or some other circumstance. And yet, harden their hearts in bitterness against all the truth they know about. What an awesomely terrible way to die. So close to the Savior, and yet so spiritually far away from this mercy because they harden their heart. Sinners dying without Christ. Is anyone here in that position? 
Are you dying without... You say, well, I'm not dying. I'm living. I'm doing well right now. Yes, but we are all actually dying. We have the seeds of our eventual death death in us. The curse is upon the whole creation which groans in travail and pain until now. And it is only a matter of time. We all, it is appointed, the Scriptures say, it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. And what did this dying thief do as his His last hour is coming. We read in verse 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Did he want to be saved spiritually from his sin? No. Did he want to be saved from the bondage of iniquity? Did he want to be saved from his idols? No. He simply wanted to be freed from the consequence of his own evil deed. Oh, yes, such an unrepentant person hardens his heart against the opportunity for mercy. And this man is the picture of so many who are on their way to eternity, dying without a Savior. And his only statement in response to the, to the profession of Jesus that he is the Christ is, if thou be the Christ. He mocks along with others. What a sad thing. And the unrepentant thief stumbled in unbelief at the cross. And Paul speaks of this. And he goes around preaching. He realizes that there are those two responses. And he says, but we preach Christ crucified. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 23. We preach Christ crucified. That's the central message of his preaching. He says, unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is preached to us as he is crucified. He is offered to us as a crucified Savior, as the one who paid for sin completely. Do you see the divine wonder in him? The power of God through all the circumstances of this human wickedness that is taking place here, God has His glorious purpose. He sent His Son as a substitute for sinners. What a glorious reality. And here, as, as He is placed before our eyes in, and before us as He is described here, It is what Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And we know why, because it was an offer of mercy for those who had been bitten by the snakes. Well, we have all been bitten by the serpent of serpents, the devil himself. 
Well, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation as this? If we turn our hearts in hardness away from Jesus, love could not be manifest in greater, any greater manner than this, that God sent his own Son to die upon the cross, and he proclaims him to us. If we despise this mercy, we will have no mercy from God at all. There will be no hope to those who reject Jesus till their dying breath. Has the gospel come to us in saving power? Has it opened our eyes? Has it shaken us to the depths of our being? What a terrible thing it would be to have to close your eyes in death, knowing you hardened your heart against so loving a Savior. What a frightening thing to be dying without Christ. But we see a third cross, Christ in the midst. One stumbles at him, one hardens his heart against him, but God be praised, there is also another. One of the commentators said, one thief was saved that none despair, but only one that none would presume. You see, some people count on it, that they can have a few hours at the end of their life in which to reconsider all of these things, and so they'll just wait until their dying hour to take it serious. But the caution is, don't presume. Don't harden your heart in the day of grace. But what a miracle of grace it is that, that God opens the heart of one of these men. His sinful nature was dying with Christ. There's, there's the beauty of this phrase, dying with Christ. Paul used it later as well. Uh, I'm crucified with Christ. Well, this man was quite literally crucified with Christ, wasn't he? But this man also was being spiritually crucified with Christ. We see clearly that the cross of Christ was not an offense to his eyes, at one point at least. Yes, yes, there was something going on before this, but there was a turning point, a turning point in which he turned his head toward Jesus and his heart. But just moments before, Another gospel account tells us that, in fact, both of these thieves, these malefactors, were railing on Jesus, mocking him with the words of, of the other man. But something changed. Grace made the difference. Sovereign grace only makes the difference. It is all grace 
And if there's any difference in your case, then you can say, there, but by the grace of God, I would go with the other man if it wasn't for the grace of God. And what evidence do we see of his conversion? Well, let us just look a little closer, and we see some of the marks of this change. His mockery was silenced. He was a man who would be swearing with all the troopers, with, the, with all the, the workmen, with, with all the soldiers, with all whoever he was with. He was a, a cursing man as well. In fact, just recently, he mocked Jesus, the Son of God himself. But his mouth was stopped at a point. Soul-piercing grace worked an awakening in his heart. Could it be that when he saw the meekness of Jesus in his crucifixion, could it be, I I would think that it was certainly partly this, that when Jesus was being crucified, the nails were sunk into his hands and into his feet at that moment when, when any other man would be cursing his, his persecutors, his enemies. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How that must have silenced him. What a manifestation of unusual, divine, forgiving love that Jesus would pray for those who were crucifying him. His mockery was silenced by the display of the infinite love of this Messiah. Secondly, we see here, the fear of the Lord was stirred within his heart. If he was mocking, then he was probably also to be rebuked. Don't you fear God? But, but it began in his heart. And he turned to his partner and said, don't you fear God? The fear of God was stirred within him in these moments as he was inching toward his own death but saw the marvelous way in which Jesus was being crucified. Thirdly, he confessed his sin. He stopped his mockery. He began to fear the Lord. He confessed his sin. We indeed justly, he says to his partner, we deserve this. He justified God. He justified the court that had condemned him. We deserve to be condemned to death and to go into eternity as those who are cursed. Have we manifested those evidences also? As David would say, that thou mightest me judge just when thou judgest and right when thou condemnest. Indeed, he confessed that he was a sinner and deserved the punishment. Fourthly, we see here he speaks to the glory of God. He confesses the, the righteousness and deity of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. This man has done nothing amiss. He justifies Jesus in having died here without any sin of his own. 
and he declares his faith in Jesus. At this point, he does not anymore say, if thou be the Christ, but he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. It is for him a fact of future history. This man is none other than the Messiah of God. And he is heading toward, even through death, yes, he will come again on the clouds of heaven. He will establish his kingdom. What amazing faith this man is suddenly given. An insight into the very nature of Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah who is promised. And he confesses the glory of Christ. He confesses his own sin, and he confesses the glory of Christ. Fifthly, he pleads for mercy. He pleads for mercy. Oh, Lord, remember me. When thou comest in thy kingdom, I I don't know how it's all going to, to work out and how many years it will take, and I don't know what I have to endure until that time. But Lord, when that kingdom day comes, remember me. I don't deserve it. I deserve to be condemned. But Lord, have mercy. And what an amazing answer this man received. No, you don't have to go through any kind of long, enduring, purgatory-like experience until that day comes. Jesus says, today. Today. Because Jesus knows you're going to die today. And the moment you die, he says to him, you are going to be with me, with me in paradise. What an amazing promise. This man is dying with Jesus, with the promise of heaven in his ears today. Have we understood the gospel Has the gospel drawn our heart as Jesus is lifted up before us? Have we come to tremble with the fear of the Lord? Have we come to see our sin? Have we come to the point that we realize that that we have nothing to plead in ourselves but mercy only? Have we cried to the Lord for that mercy? Oh, if you are with this man, as one who is on the way to eternity, but having died with Christ in the spiritual sense, that the old nature is being crucified and the new nature is being enlivened more and more. You can say with the Apostle Paul then, as he does in Galatians 6, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. No, I'm not going to brag about my works or even what I have become by grace, but I will glory in this only, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, not only for others, but also for me. 
by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Crucified spiritually, looking upon Jesus and living spiritually. What an amazing thing to have this experience of conversion with Christ in the midst and this experience of His preciousness. Well, one day, the promise equivalent to the promise that this man received from Jesus will apply to you as well. When your dying hours come, what a precious thing it will be to be dying with Jesus in your heart to be dying knowing Jesus is waiting for you, to be dying knowing that the very moment that your soul leaves this life, it will be in the presence of the Lord in all His glory. Now we see glimpses through a glass darkly. The Apostle Paul says, but then face to face, to be in heaven, with Jesus is, is heaven indeed. And you will be there with the loved ones who love Jesus, with all those who believe in Him. And you will be in the presence of all of those people, but especially Jesus in the midst. Let us then leave this place and go out and live in such a way that in the middle of everything we do and think and say, we will realize Jesus is in the midst. He ought to have the glory because in heaven He will be central. They will be singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. May we have Jesus in the midst forever. Amen. Let us respond with singing 110, all of these stanzas of